Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to On The Fly, the official Pelicans podcast for HoopBall.com, providing in-flight insight for all you Pella fans out there. In today's episode, we try to dig through all of the hype and try to gauge what are realistic expectations for the New Orleans Pelicans this season. I'm your host, Nick Garisco, and I'm here, as always, with Pelicans expert Michael Pelachet. You can follow us on all social media, at Mike underscore Pelicans. And I'm at Fantasy Law Guy on Twitter. Michael, let's tip off by posing a question here. How many wins do you think the Pelicans will have this year? If I had to guess, I'd say probably about 40, between 43 and 46. Um, I, I don't have a, an exact firm number. I think one thing that's really important to keep in mind is that there's a lot of variance in game to game results, and, and sometimes. You know, like the teams who closed really well in the fourth quarter in one year might be really bad in the next year, despite having the exact same players. That's something that Ben Taylor and Thinking Basketball got into. Um, but if you're looking at this roster, I think there's a few things. So one, they're very deep. This is probably the deepest Pelicans team I can think of maybe ever. And that's maybe even including the Hornets. Um, I don't think I've seen one through 10 quite stocked up like this. And I think they're also going to be very, very athletic, and they're young. And so that's going to hurt them in terms of their overall experience, but I think it's going to help them in the sense of if they can construct a moderately good offense, get in transition a whole lot, and, and kind of you know overcompensate for maybe some of the half-court issues, I think their defense could be very good, and I think they could be monstrous in transition. Now, again, that, that probably is about no more than 22 23% of their total offense, because that's about the highest number that, that anyone has had in the last, you know, whatever years. But I think they're going to be good. I really do. I think this is a year that I don't think they're going to be the Pelicans of two years ago, but I think they're a slight notch below, and I really believe that. You mentioned some Pelicans half-court issues. What would you say the Pelicans' biggest weakness is? What's one thing that might prevent them from getting to your projected win total of 43, 46 wins on the year? I hate to, to hit the sounding board like everybody else's and say the exact same thing, but I think it's clear that it's shooting. I, again, I, I don't. you can have a good offense without having great shooting, so I don't want to pretend that just because you don't have great shooting, you can't construct a good offense. But I do think that it's heavily invested in Redick in particular, 
and and that's now with Darius Miller going down, it, it's probably even worse than it was. Um, you don't have a lot of high volume guys outside of Redick. You really don't have any, honestly. I, I don't know enough about Nicola Melli to to speak to that yet. But I'll say of the other people, like there really aren't any guys, at least traditionally, who've been volume three point shooters who can successfully convert a good bit of them. And I think that's the biggest issue on this team. Certainly, if we're playing a team like Golden State and you know Steph Curry or D'Angelo Russell, you know catch fire, we're going to need somebody who can keep up with them, for lack of better words. Uh, who's going to be kind of that go-to three-point shooter for the New Orleans Pelicans? If, if I mean, Reddick takes a lot of shots, of course, but who are some other of the three-point shooters for the Pelicans? So I'm interested to see what Melly looks like. I, I think he's going to be one of those guys. I think he's getting a lot more minutes now that Darius Miller is down. I think there's a lot of opening at, at the position of four because there's just so much perimeter depth. I, I think they really have to, to find a way to get guys to slide up positions so they can get some more room for guys at two and three. Um, if I had to guess, I, I think if you... Drew Holiday is one that I'm very interested in seeing because I think given the fact that we all notice how little shooting there is on this team and given that Drew is going to have, uh, I mean, the greenest of green lights, I think this might be a year where you see something more like his, his older seasons where he was shooting closer to 36 or 37. I think he'll be taking a lot of threes. I think he knows that he has to. Um, now, whether that actually successfully translates is, is another question. But I do think that one thing that could help him and, and that I'm hopeful that it will help him is that, you know, Drew sometimes when he pulls up from three, it's a very weird form of hesitation where it looks like he's kind of like, well, I guess I'll do this. <laughs> and I, <laughs> when he does that, it doesn't wind up becoming very good. And I think, you know, again, I, I really think, and I, I'm, I'm going to go on a t- tangent here, but, you know, when we got Buddy healed as a rookie, Buddy really struggled at the beginning. And I think one thing that you really have to understand about, you know, players and roles is that it is very different being a number one option without question and being a number three or number four option. When you take a shot that you shouldn't take and you miss by a mile and you're the third or fourth option, you might get sit on the bench. And if you're the number one option, that freedom to know that you can take whatever shot you want that does a lot for people. Now, it doesn't do a lot for everybody. Maybe it's not the right role for Drew, but Drew is going to have that green light. Drew can do whatever the hell he wants on this offense because he is, without question, our best offensive player. And I think that's that freedom is either going to help him a whole lot or it's going to be something to where you see Drew is just not a number one option. It's, I think it's going to be one of those things. Right. I think that you know David Griffin called Drew Holiday an MVP candidate, which was kind of surprising to the rest of the league, I think, because you don't really consider Drew Holiday to be an MVP candidate. But that might lead credence to the fact that, or to the idea that Drew Holiday might have more of a shooting role on this team. He might be posed to be the number one offensive scorer for this team, especially in clutch situations. Uh, I, I can't imagine that... Look, Zion's great, but I can't imagine that the Pelicans want to put that massive offensive burden on him, at least early in his career. I I completely agree, and I would say that's exactly why Drew is still around. I I think Ingram is going to be our number two guy, especially on the ball. I mean, Lonzo is not a high-volume scorer. I I think he'll have the ball in his hands more than he certainly did with LeBron on his team. 
But uh, to me, if you're looking at this roster, there's no doubt in my mind that the two top creators in terms of their own scoring are Drew and, and Brandon Ingram. Now, whatever Zion becomes, I think the whole point of having a roster with a lot of other options was specifically, like you said, to avoid having Zion miss two or three last-second shots and all of a sudden sports centers going crazy. Is this guy a bust because he's you know, 19 or whatever years old? And missing a shot, you know, and at the end of a regular season game, which is stupid, but that's the kind of stuff that happens, and that's why this is just sort of an aside. I'm going all kinds of tangents tonight, but man, if you look at players who really become stars in the NBA, and over time the perception of them, everybody loves them at first. They're these rising stars, and they're going to be such great players. And then once their flaws start to come out, people just just put them on. I mean, put them on blast. Like they're just constantly pick right. that and you know it takes a really mentally strong person to listen to all that constantly and to, to just not let it affect you and Z- yeah zion seems like he has the personality where hopefully he wouldn't be affected one thing that might go in our favor which we've always griped about is that new orleans is such a small market and had zion gone to i don't know the new york knicks for example then, you know, not only would the Knicks be relying on him to be that superstar and put this massive offensive burden on him that he may or may not be able to live up to these unrealistic expectations, but you know SportsCenter and all the mainstream media outlets are going to be covering uh, Zion Williamson so uh, the, the scrutiny there is going to be so strict, right? But here in New Orleans, where you know Sports Center just cringes when they even have to talk about the New Orleans Pelicans, right? Like you know, there's there's no coverage here. So here, it actually might help Zion's development, at least from a from a from a personality standpoint. That you know he's not getting as much pressure from the national media as he would have if he went to a bigger market team. I think so, and I mean, this is greedy of me to say uh, it worked out best for Zion because he landed in New Orleans, but uh, I'm certainly happy about it, and I think I think his dad had even said something about it. I, I want to say he's not from a particularly big area in whatever, North Carolina or South Carolina, someone who probably will, will sort of like the culture here, um, or at least I hope he likes the culture here. I think it's different. I, I think you're right. I think if you look at what he would look like in New York versus here. These are radically different scenarios. Now people will be tuning in. You know, if the summer league taught us anything for that, for that, whatever 10 minutes design got to actually play, you know, people are tuning in. This is, this guy sells tickets. Right. He, he gets people to tune into TVs, but no matter what, you can't escape that. It's a smaller market. He's not going to have the same kind of coverage that he would, if he were in New York. Definitely. I, the interesting part about Zion Williamson, it, it's something that I love actually, is we are seeing him around the town, right? Like for, for people who are listening to this podcast who may not be situated in New Orleans, uh, Zion Williamson is already, of course, you expected him to be, you know, very popular here in New Orleans, but he is going to events. He's uh, went to the first Saints game last night. He was there with Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Alexander Walker. Uh, they also went to the uh, first LSU game together. You're seeing him. You're seeing Zion Williamson in particular uh, attend all these charity functions, which is great. Uh, you know, helping children, basketball camps, and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, he's met Drew Brees a couple times, and which I think is amazing because Zion Williamson basically is the next Drew Brees of New Orleans, and you have to love that. But Zion Williamson is 
you know, he's everywhere. I mean, I'm seeing him everywhere, and I love seeing it. And the other thing I love about it is that not, I'm not just seeing Zion Williamson, right? I'm always seeing him with teammates. He's always with Jackson Hayes. He's always with Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And that kind of makes me optimistic about what David Griffin is kind of building from a locker room perspective. You kind of look at it from the sense that, you know, not all teammates have to hang out together, right? But it looks like Zion Williamson is making friends. And more importantly, he's making friends within the locker room uh, to – to kind of kind of build the foundation for the future for the New Orleans Pelicans. And that might not show up on the win total, especially this year, but it's something uh, to keep track of. Right. Yeah. Friend <laughs> total. I mean, even more important right now, it's something to keep track of because, you know, it's, it's better than the alternative where you have issues in the locker room. And this, this is something that I'm pretty excited about personally as a Pelicans fan. I, I'm super excited. I, I mean, I'm giving you grief over it, but really, like, I, I haven't remember, I, I can't remember a group of teammates that I saw so publicly just loving New Orleans. And I think it means something right. that, they're, that they're both doing it together and that they're also doing it here. And, I mean, they like you said, they've been everywhere, and, and they're just fun. Like, they just seem like great people. And, you know, it, it wouldn't matter if they sucked at basketball. <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of great people who I wouldn't want on the Pelicans, but they, they seem to be, I mean, one, I, I believe in a, Zion a lot as a player, um, but I also believe a lot in Zion as a person. And I think if you're looking at Jackson Hayes and Akil Alexander-Walker as well, you know, those guys are not as certain as, as Zion in terms of basketball, but they seem to be great guys as well. And I, I do think that they have a lot of potential and to see all of them getting along That's... is just, it's great. It really is. Yeah, that seems like something David Griffin kind of prioritized during the draft. And especially in, uh, you know, you could also argue athleticism, of course, because the Pelicans are already, at least offensively, one of the most athletic teams in the NBA already. And they're they're still, uh, you know, we're supposed to be rebuilding right now, right? But no, Uh, I think that, uh, you know, athleticism and, you know, leadership, locker room fit, everything like that, personality really, and, and competitive desire uh, to be great. That's something that David Griffin has really kind of honed in on and really prioritized in the draft. And, you know, it sounds easy, right, Michael? It sounds like something every GM should do or every uh, talent evaluator or uh, decision maker should do, but not every team does that. As crazy as it sounds, a lot of teams don't prioritize, you know, great competitive personalities like that. Like, and a lot of teams don't prioritize, you know, natural athleticism. I think, right? yeah, and I think, you know, I'm starting to see, and I think that the NBA is starting to catch on to how important it is to have your stars who are well-grounded people, which, you know, Zion certainly appears to be. He seems like he comes from a great family. I think the way that I look at it now, and, and this is not obviously 100% true, but I think to some extent your character really determines, you know, minus the the lucky and unlucky things that happen in your career. Your character is almost like your probability of reaching the success that you were projected to have. I think if you're someone who definitely you know, falls apart under spotlight, well, you're certainly going to get the spotlight if you're if you're a high profile player. And I think you know, given what I've seen from Zion, I mean, David Griffin said this about him, and it's one of my favorite things ever. It was. He, he said he, he could see him being Zion being Draymond Green with rockets in his ass. And, like, that's that's great to me. Because, like, you know, I think I think Zion's going to be much better as a scorer than Draymond ever was or will be. But if he became anything like Draymond on the stuff that people don't see 
in addition to being a high volume scorer and, and a high character guy and, and probably hopefully more tame than, than Draymond Green is, um, you're talking about a Hall of Fame player. That That's a really good player. I, and I, I think he will be, but I mean, that's that gets me excited because if that's what he's focusing on at the beginning, you know, is, is finding ways to contribute in the margins, that's that's so valuable because if, if at some point someone else becomes, you know, a, a ball-dominant scorer in this role and you have someone like Zion floating around just making a difference in every way that doesn't come in the box score, holy crap, that's going to be a good player and that's going to be a great team. Well, you see, there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about the Pelicans. And unfortunately, however, uh, we have to talk about the Vegas projection win total here. And Vegas has us at 39.5 wins this year. That's the over-under for the New Orleans Pelicans right now. It's actually the uh, – that 39.5 total is actually ranked 10th. It's the 10th highest in the West. So they have us as the 10th seed in the West right now. I realize that the West is a stacked conference. Um, Michael, what are – why do you think – what's the disparity here? Why do you think that Vegas is – about five or six wins lower in their New Orleans Pelicans projected projection than you are. If I had to guess, it would be based on what they think is going to happen in terms of the Pelicans' goals. I think they would probably expect that the Pelicans are not really shooting for the playoffs and are maybe maybe publicly speaking that they are and not really in full support of it. I, I do think the Pelicans are going to make a push for the playoffs this year. I don't think that they're they're looking to pretend like they're going to compete and then not do it. I think they see this as an opportunity to really carve out, you know, a, a viewership here and, and a real investment up from the fans. And I don't think they're going to blow that because they tried to do that several times when, when Davis was here and it never panned out for various reasons. But, you know, I think starting from the top, I think Gail is really invested. That's why she got in Griffin because Griffin was looking for the right opportunity. I certainly think Griffin's invested. I don't think anybody I've ever seen has loved his job more than David Griffin has. That guy seems like he's on cloud nine doing this. And I think the team's ready. I I think they're going to compete. And I I don't think they're going to fold at the end of the season. Um, I do think that it's probably important to talk about the schedule and the way that it lines up because they do have a tough start. There's a guy named Ed Kupfer or Ed Kupfer. I apologize to Ed, who is certainly not listening to this podcast for mispronouncing his name, but he puts together these sort of like rolling win percentages for the opponents per month. So he shows that the, basically the Pelicans at the very beginning of the season are playing like almost 60% win teams in terms of the Vegas expectations. And it's going very far down to, I mean, just a very low total at the end of the year. So they're playing cupcake teams at the end of the year, presumably. And they're also playing really good teams at the beginning. Now there are a few things there. So, at the end of the season, when teams are, are young, they typically tank, right? They're, they're playing the younger players. They're not trying to win now. The season at that point is over. The resting players who are almost assuredly hurt because that's most NBA players are playing through something during the season, and you're playing these cupcake teams when they're not trying to win. Now, that's great. But to do that, you also are playing teams at the beginning of the season who are very good, and very good teams I, I expect would want to come off to a good start because they wouldn't want to be falling behind and – playoff seeding does matter so yeah I, I mean it's going to be a tough start and I think that's if they can weather that storm things can be very very good and I think if they can't then yeah maybe you are talking about something closer to 39 or you know even possibly below that you know if if that's the way it shakes out 
right? And we we already discussed this, but uh, going to the slow start here, you also don't want a slow start because you really want the fans of the New Orleans Pelicans to get behind this team, right? I mean, football is obviously uh, the number one passion for New Orleans and for the state of Louisiana. I mean, it's a football state. It's a football city. Uh, you want the Pelicans to start fast because you want people to not, uh, you know, people on the trying to hop on the bandwagon to not think, oh, they were all hype or, oh, they're not ready yet. Yeah, I love Zion, but, you know, they're a year away. That's one of the reasons that you absolutely want the Pelicans to start quickly. And unfortunately, it looks like the the meat of the schedule or the most difficult portion of the schedule is at the very, very beginning. So it's going to take some potentially take some patience, but it also means that if we can hang around in there, it also means like we might really uh, finish really well down the stretch, which will happen to be the exact time where all of these new players, you know, who haven't played together, right? Brandon Ingram, JJ Redick, Derek Favors, uh, Lonzo Ball, Drew Holiday, Zion Williamson, none of those guys have played together. Except for, I guess, except for Lonzo Ball and Ingram, of course. But none of these guys have played all together. That, you know, if they can weather the storm in the beginning and just even go 500 through the first portion of the schedule, um, or even even a little bit below it, it looks like the Pelicans could go on a tear just based on the Vegas expectations towards the end of the season. And, and I also have to comment here that I love that uh, your boy, who you can't pronounce his name, and I won't even begin to try, but I, I love that he is using the Vegas expectations for of win-loss totals for evaluating or predicting strength of schedule, right? Because I, I can't stand when I am on a fantasy basketball website or on any basketball forecasting website and they're using last year's win total. Like they actually mean anything. I mean, it, it absolutely does not, right? I mean, the more accurate way to do this is – this is all about forecasting the future, and the most accurate way to do that is to evaluate the teams now because so many things change throughout an offseason and everything like that. So, I mean, using, for example, using last year's win total for the Lakers is not going to give you the same type of evaluation for this year's Lakers. Obviously, that's going to be, you can predict that that's going to be a much tougher opponent than. The Lakers would have been last year. So that's just one example. It applies to almost every team, though. So I appreciate that the guy's using Vegas win-loss totals there. Um, you know, on, staying on Vegas here, Vegas actually sees this as a, as a sub-500 team, right? 39.5 wins. And so while there's a lot of hype around this New Orleans Pelicans team, Vegas isn't really uh, buying it. It might be for the reason that you said that they might not be seeing us as a playoff contender now, even though you mentioned everything that David Griffin has really done this offseason has kind of indicated that we are kind of in win-now mode. Um, Is there any reason that, you know, uh, what's the main difference, I should say, that you see us as more of a win now team than Vegas does. Um, I think a lot of it relates to Drew. I I think if Drew is playing sub thirty minutes, you know we're having a different conversation. I don't think that's going to be the case. Maybe you can talk about him going more towards like thirty two minutes, but not because they're trying to lose games, but rather because they're trying to keep him fresh and use our depth as an advantage. I, I think. 
at some level, I mean, I just can't get around the fact that most of the guys that will be getting major minutes are guys who are young players who are, I'm not going to pretend like they're stars right now, but I think they're guys who could all in the right world become stars. And I think they're all at least decent basketball players. Like you're not playing guys. I mean, Lonzo Ball, like people love to hate on him because his dad just does a, a huge disservice to him by all of his weird promotions. But Lonzo Ball is a really smart basketball player. You know, Brandon, yeah, he can, he play. can play Brandon Ingram. You know, I, at the end of last season, Brandon Ingram was playing very, very well. And Brandon Ingram, I, I'm not as certain about him as I, I feel like I am about Ball, but I do think he's going to be good. And, you know, that's just that's three guys right away. You have Favors, who I think people are really not realizing how good he's going to be this year. Favors is someone who, if you talk to anybody in Utah, was really held back by the fact that his his skill set just overlapped with Rudy Gobert's a lot. He shouldn't have been playing the four there. They tried to make it work, and they actually did. They were actually really, really good together as a team with Favors and Gobert there, despite their sort of improper fit together. Favors can play. Favors is going to play the five, and he's going to have a monster statistical season, at least on a per-minute basis. And how many minutes he gets, I don't know, but I would guess it'd be closer to like 25 to 30, um, and I, I think more approaching 30. And then that's not even counting Redick, who Redick chose to be here for a reason. Redick did not come here to play two minutes a night. I can promise you that. And they certainly didn't pay him what they paid him to make that happen. Redick's going to play. Like, you have players. This is a lot like what Philly did. They had young players. They put Redick around him, and they put other players around them to win. Um, They still rebuilt in that way, and they still had a growth trajectory based on the players being so young. I think that's what they're doing. They're they're putting solid veterans around guys that they think can be really good. And Drew is their best player, and Drew is good, man. I I don't think, you know, the MVP candidate talk I, I think is a little premature. I, I'm not going to pretend like I know as much as David Griffin, but, you know, I, I do think Drew at his peak could be a top 12 to 18 player in the NBA. And if you have that plus a lot of depth, like you, you're talking about a pretty good team. So that's where I sit with it. Right. I mean – yeah, MVP candidate might have been a little uh, hyperbole from his, uh, you know, from his GM there. And I think, you know, kind of at least kind of saying that he was going to be the focal point is probably more what he meant there. J.J. Redick, you mentioned, that's a great point you made about J.J. Redick because Redick could have easily taken another deal, right? He could have easily been that, you know, final piece or that role player on a championship team he could have ring chase and he decided to come to the pelicans and if the pelicans were in full rebuild mode they wouldn't have given the veteran jj reddick the contract that they did right and they wouldn't have brought in favors i get that favors may help zion williamson's development by moving to the four or keeping him at the four instead of playing the five then i also get that you should pay a certain price or you can expect to pay a certain price in any good rebuild for some veteran presence that will uh, be a good locker room presence and, and kind of guide the rookies or the young players on the roster like J.J. Redick might be able to do. But J.J. Redick's making way too much money to actually come, uh, you know, just to be signed for that purpose alone, right? Like I, I think he's going to be a key contributor here. He might even probably even start, right? He could. I, I I really want him as a starter. This is something that I I've been banging on that drum for a good while. I don't. 
if I'm looking at this team, I think based on the fit of the the players, I really want Drew to be off the ball more, and I think that means that you're probably playing Lonzo right. with him. I think Zion has yeah, to start. Lonzo allows him to do right. that. Right. I think Zion has to start. I think Favors has to start. And given those four, I think it's really hard to put Ingram in there and make it work. Now, I could be wrong. Now, maybe they find a way around the lack of shooting, and maybe they wind up being really good in spite of that, and then Redick doesn't have to start. But I, I would always, if I'm going with it, I would say let Ingram come off the bench, have as many shots as he wants, let him finish games, and yeah. then you know let Reddick start. And we saw that last year, right? Now you mentioned it earlier in this podcast. We saw yeah. that last year where Ingram actually thrived in that role after all of the injuries that the Lakers had after LeBron, uh, you know, started sitting out games. Ingram really did thrive in the role as kind of being the guy. And you know, no offense to the Lakers, but. By the end of the season, the quality of play that Ingram was uh, surround that Ingram was surrounded by is probably going to be similar to our backups, right? I mean, we are a pretty deep team. I'm just saying by the end of the Lakers season, so Ingram actually will be in a pretty similar situation if he's coming off the bench. In my opinion, is at least being the sixth man, and you can give him that green light to take all these shots. And I actually. I agree with you because I know that's kind of a debate within uh, within Pelicans Twitter, if you will. I mean, that, that's the main debate is who's going to – is Ingram going to start or be that six-man? And I, I am on the six-man side like you are. Yeah, I think so. I think it makes the most sense. Well, let's talk about this, though, uh, because one reason that I think the Vegas win total – and I keep bringing it up, but they are the smartest projectors in the world, right? Uh, and they only have the Pelicans at 39.5 wins. Uh, you mentioned that Vegas may not view the Pelicans as a win-now team. as They might see it more of a rebuild, and that might be true. Uh, maybe they are underestimating the Pelicans. It's not like Vegas has never been wrong before. Of course they have. But one reason that I think that the Vegas win total is, is lower than your projection might be because uh, the Western Conference has to— beat up on each other, right? I mean, the Western Conference is so stacked, and I kind of want to talk about that for a minute uh, to, to allow Pelicans fans, or Pella fans, as I like to say, uh, to realize uh, you know, how stacked and difficult this Western Conference really is. Uh, I, I want to start by saying, you know, the Oklahoma City Thunder were a playoff team last year, and I think we can kind of safely rule them out of contention. I think that they're going through a lot of struggles right now. Uh, after dealing through Westbrook, and I think they kind of have to start over, clean house, really. Uh, so if if that takes the Oklahoma City Thunder out, and you can safely assume at least, you know, whether you think they're going to be a top two team or think they're going to make the playoffs, I think you can also safely assume that the Los Angeles Lakers are going to make the playoffs now that they have Anthony Davis and LeBron James. They brought a bunch of other players in to fit with them. Uh, the Los Angeles Clippers did make the playoffs last year. Uh, I believe they were an eight or seven seed, and and now uh, Nick actually actually played really well in the playoffs, and now they have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, so they should be considered the top seed there. So the Lakers, the Clippers, and I, I'm going to throw out some other teams here that all expect to make the playoffs. The Golden State Warriors, uh, you know, they lost Clay Thompson; they might be playing without him, but uh, they lost Kevin Durant, but they got D'Angelo Russell. They expect to make the playoffs, right? Uh, the Denver Nuggets and the Portland Trailblazers certainly expect to make the playoffs. The Houston Rockets expect to make the playoffs. And the Utah Jazz expect to make the playoffs. Um, I think that all of them probably will make the playoffs. So that's seven teams right there. And only eight teams make the playoffs. So I haven't even mentioned 
the San Antonio Spurs, who are under Popovich, or uh, I wouldn't say they're a perennial powerhouse any, anymore, but they're always competitive under Popovich. And uh, the Dallas Mavericks, uh, I know a lot of people scoff at, might be scoffing at that, but they are kind of on the rise like the Pelicans are. And I think the Spurs, Mavericks, and the Pelicans are three teams that might be all in the same division. There are three teams that might kind of be fighting for that last spot. And of course there will be injuries. There will be variables. You know, you can't predict everything. One of these teams will inevitably, you know, lower than the guys that I've said will surprise. And uh, one or two of these teams that I've projected to make the playoffs, at least by Vegas will, you know, have a disappointing year, but at least to me, you know, how loaded is the West where you have teams like the Spurs and the Pelicans and the Mavericks all actually competing for a spot. Michael, what's your take on, uh, the Western Conference in general, and if the Pelicans, you know, are good enough to actually make the playoffs, I, I'm looking at it. I I see four teams that I I mean, given that they don't have crazy bad injury luck, that are actually locked to the playoffs. I right, think it's of course. I think it's the Jazz, the Nuggets, the Rockets, and the Clippers. I, I think the Lakers are pretty close okay. to a lock. Um, I think they're certainly going to be good enough to make the playoffs. So I I'd say that they're probably close. I don't think though that they're in a tier in that same tier with those other teams. I don't think Golden State is going to be – I think they're going to have some problems. Uh, I mean, if you're – certainly Steph Curry is still a phenomenal player, but it's a lot. And, and the way that Steph creates is very different from a lot of the other top options. Steph does a lot of stuff off the ball, which is great because it makes it harder to defend sometimes, but it also requires a lot of energy spent by him. So for him to be a, a volume guy to the level that he needs to be, um, you're going to need a lot from Russell. And they haven't played together. Clay's out. You know, Draymond Green is certainly fantastic, but this is not the same team. And I think that I don't see them as clearly better than the Pelicans. I know that sounds crazy to say, but I, wow. yeah, I don't, I don't think that that's the case. I really think after you get past those four, I think teams like five through ten or eleven are really closer than most people would think. I think Portland's going to have some problems with Nurkic going down. You know, if Whiteside becomes anything like he was supposed to be, you know, maybe that sort of eliminates that issue but i think the pelicans have a solid shot and i like you're saying i think the mavericks will be making a push um you know memphis i think is obviously (laughs) they've shown their cards i actually think okc will be more competitive than people are are expecting especially if they're actually playing their top players because gallinari and shea gilgis alexander can play as can chris paul i know chris paul isn't what he was before you know steven adams is still a really good defender despite the fact that he's sort of being phased out in today's nba like they could, I think they could wind up being competitive, but I don't. Yeah, yeah, they could be a scrappy group. Oh, they're going to be anyone with Chris Paul. <laughs> they're going to be scrappy. I can yeah. tell you that they're going to. People are not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not going to like to play them. They won't. I, I shouldn't have said they. You know, they're not going to be an easy win. But I do. Th- I would be surprised if they made the playoffs. Although, hey, a lot of people would have been surprised if they would have projected the Clippers to make the playoffs yep. last year and and. The Clippers were kind of that scrappy group that were they were able to get in and even kind of frustrate. Uh, I think they played the Warriors in round one, right? Uh, I had to check on that, but I think, yeah, honestly, it's been so long since I thought about this stuff. Yeah, we're always focused on the future here, but I, I think that it's just, it's just really interesting and really unfortunate, actually, that the Western Conference is just so loaded. And while the Pelicans might be uh, a team that gets maybe has a winning record which by the way if you know you would have told us that 
three months ago, or uh, three or four, five months ago, before we ended up with the number one pick, before we got Zion, before David Griffin, et cetera, et cetera. If you would have said that beforehand, I mean, would have thought you're crazy. I mean, this was looking like a three-year at least rebuild, and now we're talking about the playoffs in the stacked Western Conference, which is great. But unfortunately, uh, you know, it's tough. And the Pelicans might be in a situation where they hit your expected win total at 43, 46 wins to have a winning record, and and actually miss the playoffs unfortunately it's possible but i i really do think they have a good chance at it and you know would i be surprised if they were ninth or tenth no but you know i don't think that that that's that's where i tend to have them right now uh i'm a little i'm a little lower i think the pelicans are gonna win about uh i think they're gonna be about 500 i'm kind of looking at that 42 41 wins even uh, I do think that I would bet the over on the Vegas total, 39.5, but I'm not quite going as high as your total, and I don't think that they're going to make the playoffs. And it's not a knock on the Pelicans. I, again, I'm just kind of obsessed with you know how good the Western Conference is, and I I don't think we're going to be there yet this year. But you know, obviously I have a lot of optimism for the future yep, here. I think that's fair enough. Yeah, well, uh, that kind of wraps up our pod, our initial podcast on the Pelicans expectations. Thank you so much for tuning in to On The Fly, the official New Orleans Pelicans podcast of HoopBall.com. In-flight insight for all the sharpest Pella fans. We'll be covering fantasy basketball expectations for the Pelicans next week. You can find me at FantasyLawGuy on Twitter. You can find Michael at Mike underscore Pelicans. Thank you so much for listening today. Lock up. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.